welcome back everyone to the Bitches with Pitches podcast. My name is Heather and I'm here today with a very special guest, Aaron Rotson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I am a Cleveland, Ohio native. Go Cavs. Um, <laughs> I have, let's see, I've lived in I've lived in every big city in Ohio. Mm. I've lived in Atlanta. I've lived in LA and I've lived in New York. Um, I've worked as an art director and a designer for a whole bunch of places. I'm like a journeyman. I've been all over. Um, most recently, prior to my time at 160, um, I worked in the beauty industry for quite some time for including a few uh, places in LA, including Wet Wild Cosmetics and uh, L'Oreal in New York. So, um, I was in-house for a really long time mm. until I came to 160. Now I'm agency, so um, a different uh, thing. But yeah, I was trained as a designer. I knew that I wanted to be a designer when I was like in like a sophomore in high school, um, which is weird because like I was very, like some people go to college and are like, I have no idea what I wanna do. Mm. And I like knew, it was weird. Like there's a thing, I think from my like freshman year in high school, and it's like this little bio and there's like a picture of me like, <laughs> being cool. And uh, it says that I like wanna be a designer and like go on the world, which is insane to think about now. Like I, we, there are people here who are like, I didn't even know what graphic design was when I was in college. Honestly, I feel like, especially in advertising, there's like two types of people, like the people who fall into it and the people mm -hmm. who specifically try, you know, yeah. to get into it. Yeah, and I don't even think I tried to get into, well, I didn't, I didn't try to get into advertising. I was, uh, I wanted, like many people, I wanted to design album covers. That's like why I wanted to become a designer. And that was at a different time when album covers were like a real thing and not a, you know, 100 by 100 square on your phone. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Yeah, so that was what started, and I did, like, a couple projects for, like, friends bands in high school, and I designed websites. Like, I really... It's weird, because I have not designed a website since, like, HTML was a thing where you hand-coded everything, but that was how I, like, learned how to make design moves and do things. And then um, I went to the University of Cincinnati, and you intern while you're a student there. Um, and so I worked at... A bunch of different places while I was in college and then when I graduated I mostly was just like I want to find a job like somebody pay me, pay me to do this mm -hmm. and I went in-house and I was an art director for Goody Hair Accessories in Atlanta and that was like my first job but I wasn't like oh I want to be in advertising I definitely didn't think that that I didn't even I mean I didn't really know what I wanted to do like I knew I wanted to be a designer but I wasn't like oh I want to work in this industry or like I want to be in advertising or I want to do packaging. I had no clue. I sort of fell into it in that way. Uh, but I knew I wanted to be a designer. Mm. Did you know you wanted to go into the beauty industry? No. <laughs> uh, that was a that was a wild, wild <laughs> accident. Um, so I, pre-recession, um, I was working at Goody in Atlanta and I wanted to move back to Ohio. Mm. And I had a friend who worked at Abercrombie & Fitch in Columbus. And at the time, like, Abercrombie was a really, like, cool place to work. And it, the name had a lot of clout. And it wasn't as, like, 
borderline embarrassing as it can be today. <laughs> Even though, like, I, they do interesting work in some cases, but, like... Yeah, they've started to do a little bit more interesting. Yeah, they started to use black in their portfolio. That really helped yeah. out. <laughs> but, like... And they redid their logo for the first time in a million years. Yeah. Lighted the stores. <laughs> but, like, I worked there when it was, like, at its a sort of, like, waning peak, I would say. Mm-hmm. And... A friend of mine, I saw him and I was like, oh my God, can you get me a job at A&F? Because it was like the thing to do. And it worked out and I moved back to Ohio. And they put, they didn't know what to do with me. Because they didn't put me in apparel because I they didn't like my t-shirt designs enough, I guess. <laughs> but I had done all these, this is so weird to talk about now, but I had like done all these mood boards like to talk about the brand. Mm-hmm. And I'd like pulled all this imagery and like written all these stories. And they were like, we really loved your mood boards. <laughs> So I, um, they put me on brand marketing Mm -hmm. and then there were like all these little tracks within there and they put me on fragrance and personal care, even though I was like, okay, whatever. But all of their products were like different colors and you had to have a really good eye for color. And I guess I did according to my boss. And so I worked on that and I like approved color. My entire time I was working there, I pretty much went to a factory in Vermont and like approved lip gloss colors. That was like my job, Mm. which was wild. And so then when the recession hit, I lost my job. There were no retail jobs in Ohio. And so I spent a little bit of time in like the wilderness, Uh, but I had that personal care experience. So I went to get, during the recession, I wrote it out by going to graduate school, which some people did. And after I finished my master's program, I went to a, I, my master's is in design criticism, which let me tell you is even less lucrative than <laughs> graphic design. And uh, I was like, I have to pay these student loans back. And so I ended up getting a job at L'Oreal and that's how I got into beauty. But my joke, and this is like my bit about it, is that I don't even know how to put on eyeliner. Mm-hmm. But I've made packaging for like a lot, a lot of cosmetics. <laughs> so do you know anything about like the beauty industry, like YouTube and stuff? Oh yeah. I mean, I, when I worked at L'Oreal, they were trying to launch, um, Michelle Phan as like a brick and mortar thing. And it, I mean, failure is not even the word. Like (laughs) it, it tanked hard, but it's, it was so hard to take at that time was who was like the only YouTube influencer and like monetize that and turn it into a business. Cause it was like pre Instagram. Mm. This was before like basically every upstart beauty brand was driven by Instagram and influencers and Instagram culture and all of that. So, yes. I mean, at this point, I feel like beauty brands are, like, born and die off of Instagram. Mm-hmm. And if you're not successful on Instagram, it's like, my father. Mm-hmm. So, but I was, like, I had done it for a long time. And it was, good. like, it's cre- it's fun work. It's, like, creative work. Like, it's a lot of people's dream job. Like, that's, you know, what they want to do. But... I was like ready for something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I think that the one thing that can happen is that you can get like pigeonholed into something. And I had been doing beauty for so long that people were like, oh, well, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, that's not all I do. So a friend of mine and I started like a side biz where we would do like one-off projects. We did our, we did an album cover. Um, and then we did some like little brand stuff and just these kind of little ways to like do things outside of our regular jobs was like uh, very helpful. And I actually think that it was a lot of that work that made it into my portfolio that helped me come work here because it wasn't just like a boatload of beauty stuff. It was like, here, I've done these other things and like I'm interested in all of this stuff. 
because I think the thing that has helped me in advertising, I guess, <laughs> is like I'm very interested in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so that curiosity has helped. That curiosity and diversity like helps me here because of having to work on different clients and not being like, okay, these are all beauty brands. Like, how can we make them different? It's like, oh, you're gonna work on the Philadelphia Eagles and you're gonna work on the Cleveland Cavaliers and you're gonna work on Mercer University and Macon, Georgia. Like all this stuff that has, has worlds apart from the beauty industry. But I learned so much while doing that, that those skills have helped me here. Mm -hmm. You know, you never know. I would have never thought, I mean, <clears throat> I would have never thought I was gonna work at Abercrombie & Fitch. I mean, that place was like, verboten to me when I was in middle school. Mm. You know, I basically would like give it the finger when I walked by because <laughs> I was like, I'm cool and I shop at the thrift store and like, you know, I was so not a part of that. Yeah. But then I, you know, went to work there and it was good. Some, a lot of lip gloss approvals. Does the office smell the same? Oh. Does it really? Oh yeah. Oh, wow. uh, so I, incidentally, I wrote about the office in graduate school because you had to write about a workplace and I was like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. <laughs> and I'll send it to you. It's a very long essay about what it was like to work there because it was a very, I would love to know what the office is like now because it was, not only do they do they pipe the fragrance into the office, but they play the music that they play in the store no. out loud all day. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. And so like every, like quarterly, the soundtrack would change. And so me and my coworkers, everybody would have the most hated song on the thing and your favorite song because you would hear the same eight tracks like over and over again all day. And there's a part in the essay that talks about how when they like announced there would be a reorganization, that means layoffs. And <laughs> uh, I knew that it would probably be me because I was one of the last people hired on our team and I was a lot younger. And uh, I remember we were like, they changed the mix and I was like working on comps or something with a coworker, and there was a uh, techno remix of Tracy Chapman's Fast Car that was on the soundtrack. And do you know what that song is actually about? Um, it's about her like, it's like a, she's like leaving, right? With her lovers. Right, but it's about generational poverty essentially. Oh, <laughs> this song is like actually very dark. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's about generational poverty and it's the idea of you know trying to escape that. And yeah. I was like, <laughs> You know, like, uh, like exacto knife on the board, like, and I'm like listening to it. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, you know what? Like, if I lose this job, like, that's okay. Like, I can't, I don't think my personal politics aligns with like selling $40 t-shirts to the tune of this song about generation. <laughs> and I like asked my coworker and he was like, I didn't know that. And I was like, of course, Lily, I, I'm alone here, <laughs> which wasn't true. But after that, like, I, I was like, it's going to be okay. Like, I don't. And I've heard that song since, and it's become like a running joke, but I've heard it in other places, and I'm always like, mm. you know, it's like the red light goes off, and I'm like, oh no, and I can like smell A&F fierce, and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> But, I mean, getting laid off is like, it's uh, it, it sucks. Like, I would never tell anyone it doesn't suck, but it definitely <clears throat> like will realign your life for you in a way that you maybe needed. Mm -hmm. I remember I like turned in my parking pass and I called my dad and my dad was like, how do you feel? And I was like, well, I, I feel free. Even though I like cried the entire way home. Cause it was like devastating. Yeah. So that's my sad recession story. But after that, you know, things have picked up from there. Yeah, you're doing um, pretty good for yourself. Yeah, I'm doing okay. <laughs> it can happen to you. And then, you know, years later you do a master's program and you work a bunch of jobs that you like never also thought you would have and then you end up like 
a creative director. You don't end up that way. It's, you know, work. But, um, yeah, I mean, I like, if I were to look back now, I mean, I was, I think, an assistant graphic designer there. That was my second job out of college. I was really young. I think I would have been more... I think I would have been easier on myself about it. Mm -hmm. Cincinnati's program like drills into you that you'll always have a job and like you're the most employable human being on the earth and like, you know, designers will always have jobs because it's a trade and like that's not true. Mm -hmm. It's just not. Um, but I think that I would, I was very like career focused. I think I still am, but I was, for a 26 year old person, I was like, what am I doing? And like <laughs> now I would not be as hard on myself as I had been then. We'll see, but it, you know, it turned out okay. So now I live in Philadelphia. How do you like Philly compared to uh, Well, I mean, I lived in major metros for 10 years before I moved here. Mm -hmm. I was in New York and then I was in LA and it's not either of those. But I think Philadelphia is like if Cleveland and New York had a baby. Oh. It's like, it has like the chip on its shoulder of like a Cleveland, although I think Cleveland is nicer just because it's Midwestern and that's mm -hmm. where I'm from, so I have to say that. But mm -hmm. it has the like New York East Coast thing about it. I'm also coming off a very bad experience at Sixers Cavs, so I'm a little sensitive about mm -hmm. Philadelphia right now, but <laughs> it'll be okay. No, I moved here, uh, my boyfriend lives here, and I moved here from LA to mm -hmm. be with him, which is also something I never thought I'd say in my life. But I also moved here to work at this job, which has been mm -hmm. very fun and given me a lot of experience that I definitely didn't have before this. Mm. So that part is cool. Cleveland pride like runs really deep. Oh yeah. yeah um, insane. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. And I'm glad that you know that because it yeah. is a, it's like a very, like the first thing that I usually want anyone to know about me is that that's where I'm from. Yeah, like 100%. I don't care where else I've lived in my life. I'm like, I'm from Cleveland and people are like, okay, like, but it really, Ohio Pride in general is a pretty strong thing, and I think Cleveland Pride is pretty, it gets heated. I've gotten into some <laughs> heated stuff around here because of it. That's a good point, because I was I interned with two girls from Cleveland over the summer, and mm -hmm. they used to get in fights with bouncers about why Cleveland was the best city on Earth. Yeah, it, it is the best insane. city on Earth. That's a fact. <laughs> It's it's the best it's the best place. I love it. <laughs> uh, so I got to work on through the virtue of working here. I got to work on uh, spots for Cleveland Cavaliers this year, which was like the dream of my life, mm -hmm. which I tell everybody all the time. And being able to like concept about a place that I'm like obsessed with, but don't live in, sadly. And like take, we did a shoot there, and like take coworkers there and be like, this is my favorite bar, <laughs> like this is this, and just like have people like sort of understand like why you're obsessed with it that part was very fulfilling for me but i'm glad you have yeah it's not uh it's weird it's a weird obsession and it's usually people that don't live there i'm one of them who are like i'm obsessed with this place mm -hmm. and then people are like why don't you live there this is like why i couldn't get mad about lebron leaving cleveland for the second time like i've done it so many times i can't <laughs> the first time i was like and then i moved to new york like two months after that and i was like oh i'm just just like LeBron. <laughs> just like LeBron. Just me and LeBron. Just two peas in a pod. But, yeah, that's that. So, I know you said you worked in the beauty industry, mm -hmm. and you worked a lot with packaging design throughout your career. Yes. Do you think packaging design has an impact on purchasing behavior? 100%. 
How do you buy, if you were to buy a bottle of wine, how do you buy that bottle of wine? The one that looks the prettiest. 100%. Because I'm a design. Like, that's, but that's, you. but it's not just you. It's like a lot of people buy wine that way, where they're mm-hmm. like, what label appeals to me most? Because wine is like one of those like weird things where like not everybody knows like what goes into it and what it tastes like. And not everybody's like, ah, I taste like figs and, you know, burnt wood. Like not everybody can do that. So it's like, oh, like this label looks like something that I would want. This reflects me. And so therefore, I want, or I'm like, I'm wacky. And then you're like, oh, I'll buy this wacky label one. Or like naming and all of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, definitely true in cosmetics. Especially, so my last position before I came uh, here was to work at Wet n Wild Cosmetics. Mm-hmm. So that's like drugstore cosmetics where you don't, you're not like trying it. You're not at the Lancome counter like, oh, this looks, co- this color looks good. I mean, you're just like, taking a three to five dollar risk essentially so making the packaging more appealing and even making the product itself like do you put a design into the actual product so that it shows through and that's attractive to someone and um all of that stuff is important uh i mean i love packaging packaging's amazing and like one of the most cure like it does really like people will make choices based on that Mm -hmm. um And it's interesting because in beauty specifically, like there has been this move or there was, I feel like this has changed now, especially with the advent of Instagram. Like in my last, you wanted everything to be Instagrammable. That was like what you designed it for, which I like sort of hated. But um, there was also this move for certain brands to like look pseudo like uh, medical in a way, like a Kiehl's or an ASAP where you're like minimalist, like borderline, like bad design. Like Kiehl's is just like a bunch of type all over everything. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that if it's just type, it looks like, oh, well they didn't put all this money into the packaging. The money must've been put into the formula. Mm -hmm. So it can work in these like different ways. Um, But yeah, I I mean, it's funny though. My first job where I designed essentially the like cards that uh, hair accessories came on uh, one of my coworkers had two younger children at the time and <laughs> one of her daughters was talking to her friend and she was saying, yeah, you know, my mom designs the trash. And I was like, <laughs> it's technically true. It's <laughs> like, you're not wrong, but that trash has a pretty a big job on its shoulders a lot of the time. But yeah, I think it definitely does. Mm-hmm. And there's some really funny things that happen. There's a, uh, especially in beauty and especially now with like the advent of like um, Korean skincare and everything like coming across and Mm -hmm. like different cultural things that make sense over there, but then become bizarre over here or vice versa. Um, There's like a Tony, Tony Moly um, peach cleansing balm and it comes in this thing that looks like the peach emoji, but it basically just looks like a butt Mm -hmm. and (laughs) there's a hilarious, I think Urban Outfitters was selling it for a while and there's like a product shot of it that they took that they just, it literally looks like a butt. Like I can't, I saw it at Ulta the other day and I like took a picture of it just cause I was like, <laughs> but that's like joyful. Like that's fun. Mm-hmm. And so like it should be, in some cases it should be that stuff. But yeah, I miss doing packaging. I also was like a super nerd about printing and like all the different things that you could do. And like, uh, you know, all these like giant printing presses that do all this crazy stuff and all these finishes and foils and whatnot. I just moved recently and I was cleaning out stuff in our basement 
And I found my like Kerr's foil book, which is this like massive book of like cold, hot and cold stamping foils. And I was like, oh, this is a beautiful book. <laughs> and I like don't use that in my day to day here. I mean, it still comes in handy, but I definitely like nerded out on the production side of doing really cool packaging. But yeah, I missed that part. Um, not to say that I won't come back into my life again, but yeah, I definitely put in a lot of time doing packaging mm. before. I was surprised sometimes that they hired me here because that was most of my book. But Does 160 have a production side? Yes. Yeah. Cause we do, um, <clears throat> I mean, for us, it's a lot of like, you know, we're super higher education focused. That's not mm. our only client base, but we have a lot of that. So we're doing a lot of print pieces. We're doing a lot of view books and like that you're bringing in like cool papers and like cool treatments and how can you make this, you know, more, uh, interesting and exciting for you know whoever is viewing it if it's a parent a prospective student you know alumni whatever uh, so yeah we definitely we have a strong but mighty production team um and so i get to do a little bit of nerding out at least um but yeah it's there it's just not the level i mean it's not beauty packaging no yeah, it's not i feel like beauty's the peak of packaging it's that and uh alcohol yeah that was yeah. my if i like if i could work in something that wasn't doing like sports advertising, which I love doing, mm -hmm. I would probably want to do alcohol packaging. Mm -hmm. You get to do some crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. Cool embosses, cool finishes, expensive boxes, like telescoping boxes. I worked in fragrance at L'Oreal and that's, I mean, I thought, I thought high-end fragrance would have like huge budgets and I was very wrong. But that to me, I was like, this is like a lateral move to go to alcohol. But I think the markup on alcohol is probably better. So you get a little bit more of a budget. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's, uh, I mean, packaging is why I got to go to China for, you know, three straight years to approve stuff at a factory that I was like, you know, big bird at essentially. They were like, who's this like redhead tall person telling us what to do? That's a whole other, which is a whole other thing entirely. <laughs> but yeah, it, like I said, it's like what I was saying about ever. Like I never would have thought when I was like a freshman in college in my like drawing two studio trying to like draw still life. Mm -hmm. I never would have thought that like I would be in a factory in like Shenzhen, China, like telling people I needed them to like up the neon in a pink. Like I, you know, I'd never. That just like never occurred to me that that was part of the job. But I guess that's the stuff that you learn while you're doing the job, which mm -hmm. also happens. So is the beauty industry, I would assume it's typically more female dominated than the advertising industry? Yes, it is. But <laughs> like most things, yeah. at the top, who do you think runs beauty companies? Not a lot of women. Although I think that's changing. But I mean, L'Oreal was definitely, I mean, L'Oreal is, is owned by a French family. So L'Oreal starts there and then, you know, L'Oreal US is like a different part of it. But, I mean, everybody at the top, for the most part, was a, a middle-aged white man. Um, which is not totally true. My last job at Wet n' Wild, I worked for, uh, my CMO was a woman. She's amazing. She's at Milani now. She was great. Um, and there are definitely companies, more and more companies now, that are owned and run by women. Um, but I think it, the big boys your Estee Lauders, your L'Oreal's, still a lot of, you know, white male dominated stuff at the top. Um, and the people doing the work 
below that are usually women. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was a shock to come to 160 over 90 because it's there's a little bit more parity here between men and women. I had come from I had only worked with women pretty mm-hmm. much for the last I don't know how many years uh, since being at L'Oreal. Uh, a lot of gay men and women. That was the beauty industry pretty much. Um, but yeah, I was happy to share a little more <laughs> diversity. Helpful. Um, but yeah, I it's still. You know, it's still a thing. Um, female leadership is still like a, it's not, it is nowhere near parody, I will tell you that. Mm. Um, which is, I mean, which is cool because in one way you're like, I am a trailblazer and if I work my ass off, like I will hopefully, you know, for lack of a better term, like shatter a glass ceiling and like mm-hmm. keep doing that work. But on the other hand, it sucks because when you turn around and you look up, like, you're, there's no one who looks like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can imagine, I mean, I'm for, I'm a white woman, so I already enjoy privilege. But, like, I can't even imagine how much worse it gets when you turn around and you're like, literally no one here looks like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not represented in any way. And not that you're not, not even that it's like you're not represented, it's that you're, the, the particular challenges you face are not even in consideration because, for example, leaving work to have a child, mm-hmm. that's, for a long time, that's not, not a thing men thought about. And so it doesn't even occur to them like, oh, this is happening. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a different set of circumstances. And I think when you have female leadership at the top, like you start to get you get that perspective and you get people who are like, yeah, duh. Like you need a pumping room because when you come back from having a baby, you're most likely breastfeeding. Yeah. And like, that's stuff that just doesn't occur, which it's our job also to like pave that way and like make people aware of that stuff, but it can get uh, tiring. (laughs) Yeah. And with your example of like the six week child leave, like I assume that like that was probably just a rule that was deemed like that's the time that you should come back from having a kid which isn't true like most people aren't ready to work after six weeks you know yeah I had a I actually have a friend who works in New York for a different agency and that was her the policy for her and I was like mm-hmm. that is insane yeah six that's weeks insane. is like no yeah. time so yeah it's uh it sucks the parental leave policy in a lot of places sucks um we're pretty fortunate here we have a pretty good leave uh l'oreal had a very good leave because you're dealing with like appeasing expats that come over so you share a lot of european kind of policies on stuff which is nice Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean six weeks seems like a very arbitrary number when you like really think about how young a child is at six weeks insane all right guys thank you so much for listening this is actually just part one of the conversation so part two will be uploaded next week in the meantime follow us on bwp blog on instagram or um, look at our or listening to our previous episodes on apple and spotify just search bitches with pitches and we'll pop right up thank you so much for listening thank you to aaron for taking the time and we'll see you guys next week bye bye